Weekend Mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen. Replay from Money FM 89.3. Steve Oaken is with us, the uh, advisor for McClarty Associates. Good morning, Steve. How you doing? Doing great. Good morning. Good. Our international news review. Lots going on in the world. Let's start in Hong Kong. Today we have uh, district elections happening, and many of the protesters have called for calm to let people get out and, and uh express their right to vote. Uh, How do you see it shaping up? Well, you know, this is in a way a proxy for something much bigger. If there is a large turnout of voters, if the pro-democracy parties gain a lot of votes, it will really show that the Hong Kong population stands more with the protesters than they do with Beijing. It will show that the theory that the protests turning violent are going to turn people away from the protesters. It's not an important election in some ways, and in other ways, it's extraordinarily meaningful. You know, there's some 1,100 uh, we have in our news uh, wrap-up today, uh, 1,100 candidates contesting 450 seats. Now, this is the lowest rung of the elected political process in Hong Kong. Does that matter that, uh, you know, that is it's kind of the hoi polloi, uh, you know, running for office? Well, you know, it's interesting because this is where the real kind of government work gets done. Mm. These are the people where if the air con is dripping on the street, they try and do something (laughs) about it. These are people that there's illegally parked cars. They try and make sure the streets stay open. So, right, in some ways it's not about democracy. These people have no authority Mm. to say that there needs to be an independent review of police and how they've handled the protests. But again, it's going to be a symbol. If people come out, and right now I think the split is 327 uh, for the uh, establishment to 124 um, seats held by, you know, the the pro-democracy, generally speaking, Mm. movement. If that number goes up above 124, if turnout is very high, it's going to be a symbol that the protesters have the popular movement, you know, the population with them, and it could fuel this you know, these troubles to go on much, much longer. Yeah, we've seen the the both sides, according to the reports that I've read, you know, both of the political ends of the spectrum have been using the protests over the past five months to really get out the um, the voter registration drive to energize people to do that. So it will be interesting to see uh, who is more successful. There was also a report in Australian media this weekend that uh, that some of the spy services, Chinese uh, spy services have been involved agents have been involved in covert action to interfere with the Hong Kong politics. I I guess that doesn't come as a big surprise. Uh, Of course, we don't know if that's been verified or not. But a lot of people have a lot at stake, you know, people behind the scenes, right? Of course, uh, Beijing has accused the U.S. of being behind the scenes and everyone's kind of accusing everybody. Uh, Does that matter at this point when we look at these district elections today? Well, I think and that's why in some ways the election is really important because these are the people going out to vote to say this is where we want to see, you know, Hong Kong headed. This isn't going to, you know, there's no covert operations here. I mean, there's allegations that, you know, the West is funding uh, the protesters. There's allegations that the mainland is infiltrating, you know, the protesters. You have the triads getting involved. And so this is really the chance to see democracy in action. It's to Mm. see where the people want the direction of Hong Kong to go. Again, so you don't want to make too big a deal out of it, but it is a good snapshot of where Hong Kong will be. And we see if these elections, you know, they happen today, they happen peacefully, you get a large turnout, and then we'll see where the voters stand. Yeah, so far I haven't seen anything popping up on the wires about any big demonstrations, so maybe there'll be a chance to actually get this done, especially after the week that has been 
the the students hold up in the university in Kowloon and uh, petrol bombs and it just it was really a mess over the past uh, ten days or so. No, and it, it, and and that is certainly something the international business community um, is concerned about for the future of Hong Kong. Uh, in addition, of course, to the the people of Hong Kong themselves, you see what's happening in the United States uh, with the vote that was taken almost unanimous. I mean, literally only one person in the Congress, both mm. Democrats and Republicans, voting against the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act. So this is playing out on a, on a global stage. It's not limited to Hong Kong. What's fueling some of of what's happening from an economic perspective? Perspective, but Hong Kong is unique in that you've got a battle between you know the the one country two systems. Can that survive? We uh, had the uh, Straits Times Global Forum here last week, and the Deputy Prime Minister Heng Sui Kiat was talking about Hong Kong as well. You happened to be there, and you you got a I think a question into him on the sidelines uh, afterward, didn't you? No, I got a couple questions. <laughs> one couple, one publicly yeah. and 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 one privately to the the Deputy Prime Minister, and you know he did a, an amazing job of putting everything into context because if you look at Trump's unilateral America First. Uh, foreign and trade policy. You look at what's happening in Hong Kong. You look at what's happening in Chile. You look at what's happening Brexit. Um, there are different dynamics in the four countries, but rising income inequality, um, a lack of hope and opportunity for younger people to have a better lives than their parents had. A lot of that is what's driving this global mm. anger and these global revolts. It's not limited to Hong Kong. It's, right. it's, it's all over. And what the deputy prime minister did was, you know, said, and here is how Singapore is going to, to try and address those things to make sure that Singapore remains a competitive, equal place. But there was some some backlash to that in the West, some of the statements that came out of Singapore, not necessarily from the DPM, but, you know, saying that, oh, Singapore just is turning a blind eye to democracy. And and because uh, I think the, the prime minister had some, said something to the effect of the demonstrators were, you know, putting Hong Kong at risk. Uh, and so there has been some uh, disagreement, I guess, in, on the international stage as to whether or not the Singapore view is, uh, you know, the one that other Western countries are taking. Well, I mean, I think the two principles that Singapore lays out that are very important to follow is that, one, you need a multilateral rules-based system. Right. Um, and that without that, smaller countries like Singapore are going to fall behind. Singapore can't compete with China. Singapore can't compete, you know, one-on-one -on -one with the U.S. Of course not. Um, but within a multilateral framework, that's what Singapore says. We need to keep this going. It is in the world's interest to do that. You're not hearing that coming from the United States right, yeah. um, anymore. Um, and so Singapore is still very much an incredibly important voice in that regard. And then in terms of income inequality, you know, you see what Singapore um, is trying to do. It talks about how we have to have a better social safety net, how we have to give new economic opportunities to let people, let, let our citizens stay connected in a globalization world where Unfortunately, we see what's happening in other places, deglobalization. And so I think Singapore is a very important voice in that regard. And, and it, it tries to balance that it's, you know, it's the little red dot. <laughs> so, you know, how do you balance, you know, being a city state of five million people um, in this world? Yeah, yeah. It dovetails nicely into the U.S.-China trade talks. Uh, Robert O'Brien, the um, national security advisor, says that an initial trade agreement can still happen by the end of the year. But then he's also saying that uh, President Trump isn't going to put up with any shenanigans in Hong Kong. Uh, and then at the same time, the 
uh, top, top diplomat in China, is uh, calling the U.S. the world's biggest source of instability and its politicians are going around the world blamelessly smearing China, uh, words that we've certainly heard before. But this was done on the sidelines of the G20 meeting. And so they're kind of raising, I think, uh, Beijing is raising the level of uh, discourse on this and heat uh, against the U.S. So we've got a lot of things geopolitically happening between the U.S. and China and trade and Hong Kong. How does all this work out? I mean, are these, are, are all these factors, are, the, are these parties working in concert or are they just kind of freelancing it? Uh, because it doesn't sound like there's a coherent strategy, frankly, on either side. Well, it, what's interesting, and let's talk about the U.S. for a minute. Basically, the Democrats and Republicans don't agree on anything. They don't agree on immigration. <laughs> they don't agree on health care. They don't agree on gun control. They, they don't agree, you know, on, on a woman's right to choose. They only agree on one thing, and that's China. It is amazing how unified mm. the Democrats and Republicans are when it comes to China. And President Trump is the one who is out of line with the Democrats and Republicans when it comes to China and when it comes to Hong Kong. And, you know, his statement that he basically said, you know, I stand with freedom, I stand uh, with Hong Kong, but we're making the largest trade deal in the history of the world. <laughs> <But> therefore, <laughs> we ha- that would be great, too. Yeah. And, this goes back to his, you know, there's good people on both sides. When you had those, you know, the, the, the riots in Charlottesville where, where the Nazis came into Charlottesville and white, you know, white supremacists came into Charlottesville and he says there's good people on both sides of the, of the protest. Yeah, yeah. The same thing is playing out. That isn't going to work here. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how he balances his ultimate demand and desire to get a trade deal, which is going to help him with his reelection. But then at the same time, the United States is unified that Hong Kong needs to be protected within the one country, two systems. Well, it's interesting because, of course, earlier this week, the Congress voted nearly unanimously to uh, for legislation uh, supporting the Hong Kong and the the democracy protesters. And now the president is saying he may veto that legislation. The bill is on his desk and he hasn't done anything yet. But at the same time, the the South China Morning Post uh, has an editorial talking about the everyone's going to lose if Donald Trump signs that bill uh, related to Hong Kong democracy. So, uh, again, you know, strange signals coming from everywhere. Uh, like you say, the Congress is fully together on that topic. And now the president has said he was on, the, on, on board with that, but now he's sort of maybe not. Well, you get – OK. So remember, Hong Kong has a special place under U.S. law dating back you know, to 1992 when the handback took place. And, and the United States said because of one country, two systems, we are going to treat Hong Kong different. There are things that we can export from the U.S. to Hong Kong that we're not going to allow you to export to China. So the question then becomes if – Things change if there's no longer one country, two systems. If China takes over Hong Kong from a a legal perspective, Mm. then the U.S. is saying we are going to have to change. And that is what the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act states. It says that basically every year the U.S. is going to have to certify whether political developments in Hong Kong – justify changing Hong Kong's unique treatment under U.S. law. Oh, right. So it's going to be an annual review. This is going to mean every year the executive branch is going to have to say whether the Hong Kong rights are being protected. It will be a problem. It does not mean that anything is going to change yet, but it Mm. is a sign that China doesn't want to see this pass. So I think in some ways, you know, it's not going to change anything right away. Um, But the optics of it are that we're putting you on notice, China, that you better respect 
your treaty, which lasts for another 30 or so years, that you signed, you know, you signed granting Hong Kong that special status. It's going to be an interesting week. We'll have to wait and see what happens, of course, today with the elections in Hong Kong and then this week with the potential vetoing or signing of the bill in the U.S. And then, of course, the U.S. trade talks. Uh, lots of lots of balls up in the air right now. So. <laughs> lots of balls, and some of them are going to get dropped. We're yeah. not going to be able to juggle all of yeah. these. Awesome. Steve Oaken, thanks so much, uh, Senior Advisor, McClarty Associates, for coming in uh, yet again today mm-hmm. on our International News Review. Thanks, Glenn. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.